Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast. I'm Richard Woolley, Distressed Debt and Restructuring Editor in Reorg's London office. This week, I'm joined by Emerging Markets reporter Bianca Bora, who will be discussing the recent travails of UAE healthcare group NMC. But first, I'm going to speak to two of our financial analysts. Ben Kovachka will talk about Lycra and discuss the impact of coronavirus on the business and the apparel industry. And then Carolina Hienanen will bring us up to date on what's been going on in a busy week for Into. Ben, can we start with the macro picture before we focus on Lycra? There's been a lot of uh, commentary and discussion on the effect of uh, the virus on stock indices over the past couple of weeks. And I'm interested to maybe get a view of the credit markets and how they've responded. Sure. Thanks, Richard. I mean, very generally, uh, there has been a sell-off, mainly with regards to credits with exposure to China and more recently the areas affected by the virus. Uh, We have first seen a sell-off in European credits exposed to China at the end of January. And, uh, as you know, as the virus spread across the mainland and Asia, and we have been following these since. Now, naturally, as the virus went global, more credits were added to our coverage. And we have also seen the European primary market, which was previously running hot, shut down uh, as Italy got hit by the virus. In a secondary market, um, the credits that saw the greatest volatility were the ones that, uh, you know, were already under stress. And it's uh, difficult to generalize as the impact differs business to business and industry to industry, uh, affecting demand for some, supply for others, and uh, and for some really um, both demand and supplies impacted. Um, You know, for example, when you take a business like Merlin Entertainments, um, it would see its top line suffer as its China-based assets close doors, while others such as JLR would have issues with the supply perspective as the Chinese link in the globalized supply chains cracked, with factories closed for at least two weeks in China. Um, same with European businesses with exposure to the impacted areas, such as, you know, say, Codere, which said uh, that its revenue in Italy for the second half of February is down 14%. Uh, but these are just a few examples. Okay. And t- taking Lycra in particular, what does the impact look like there? So Lycra is a stressed premium spandex producer uh, for for the ones that have not been following the company. And it's very interesting um, because it was stressed even before the virus started spreading. And we now expect the performance in the first and second quarters uh, to suffer even more than we initially projected. The company has a production facility in Foshan, China, and its clients such as Under Armour, uh, Nike, Lululemon and others have exposure to China themselves. Under Armour was one of the first companies in the apparel space to provide comprehensive guidance uh, on a fourth quarter call, quantifying the APEC top line impact at about 50 to 60 million dollars. After the group closed doors on most of its mono-branded, do- uh, mono-branded doors in China, APEC's first quarter 2019 revenue was 144.3 million. So the impact is substantial when you when you you know put this in perspective. Uh, this also excludes any supply chain impact, which is much more difficult to quantify. Uh, but Under Armour highlighted that further challenges could arise. Now, this was also before the virus uh, spread globally. And as a result, we expect much worse performance uh, than actually guided. Um, you know, for example, Lemon also uh, said that the majority of its stores in China have been closed or operating on a reduced schedule and it would make sense for uh, most brick-and-mortar operations, um, especially in China, to suffer in a similar manner. But, uh, you know, as the virus is spreading and, and there are certain areas that are more or less you know, quarantined, um, the impact would, uh, would be similar there as well. Okay. And could, could we talk a little bit about the production impact and how, it, how that's going to play out? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, the production impact depends uh, to a very large degree on the position of the asset as the various regions in China are impacted to different extents. So for example, we understand that Lycra's facility in Foshan has not been closed beyond the extended Chinese New Year holiday. Um, but other issues to consider is the availability of labor and materials. Um, and, and it comes back to uh, you know, supply chains uh, that span you know, several provinces uh, or, or the globe really. Um, and another very important factor to consider is the end market, especially for the businesses that are in the middle of the value chain. It could very well be that um, the Chinese production designated to be exported is impacted much less than um, China for China production. Okay. And looking to the future, what would you advise people to, to pay attention to when it comes to Lycra? Right. So um, given the virus, uh, we expect liquidity to be even more strained than before, uh, with some notable cash outflows in 2020 um, being in the second and fourth quarter um, uh, coupons, namely, and the maturity of a promissory note in July. Now, the company has levers to address the promissory note through several avenues, such as an RCF covenant waiver, extending and uptearing the note or refinancing it with uh, support of assets transferred outside of uh, the restricted group, among others. However, uh, if the virus impact proves to be punishing enough, the company could have trouble with the coupons, especially if clients and suppliers start exercising caution with regards to Lycra. Um, the group provided some headline items for the fourth quarter, and it appears it managed to reduce its net debt, despite the fourth quarter being particularly demanding given heightened capex bill, acquisition costs, and coupon payment, uh, which in aggregate significant, uh, which are in aggregate significantly more than the group's EBITDA. Now, we believe a significant portion of the cash inflow is due to a working capital release uh, following working capital optimization initiative in the second and third quarters. However, it could also have also been supported by drawing on the company's bank draft discounting facility or on some local debt facilities. Now, this will become clear when the group reports its results on March 30. Okay. Uh, is the debt trading, is, is there any kind of uh, indication there? It's, it's so far been fairly illiquid, although there have been a few moves recently. Now, in terms of prices um, and, and a significant change, we are waiting for the bonds to change hands, given they are mostly held by long-only funds. Uh, which, um, as we see it, are maybe not yet ready to accept a significant discount to par. But we really expect that um, this will change uh, following the fourth and first quarter results. Uh, and, you know, this, this could be good catalyst to this, especially as we start seeing uh, quantification of the, of the coronavirus impact. Thanks very much, Ben. Carolina and I uh, discussed British retail landlord Into on this podcast uh, back in November, which regular listeners will remember. And at the time, we were talking about the possibility that it might pursue an equity raise. Yesterday, it abandoned its plans to do this. What's been going on, Carolina? So Into's balance sheet has been under pressure for a while with a four and a half billion debt pile and a struggling retail sector, meaning lower valuations for its assets, pushing LTVs up. To address this pressure, the group had attempted an equity raise at the parent level, which was looking to be difficult from the very beginning. The group needed to raise between 1.3 and 1.5 billion in equity, with a market cap before yesterday around only 160 million, with 90% wiped out over the past year. Yesterday, it announced it was abandoning this option for now, citing weak market conditions, bringing the market cap then to only about 85 million now. 
So now the group must look to alternative solutions to address the mounting pressures, which will only intensify if the valuations dip further, if and when the weak retail market persists. Coronavirus might also mean more bad news for the group if people start avoiding crowded places such as shopping centers. Okay. And what do you expect to happen next? Well, continued asset disposals are clearly on the table, and the group said it has received expressions of interest during the investor talks regarding the equity raise. It is easier to find investors interested in direct assets rather than the parent that is subordinated in the complex structure. But disposals might not be enough, especially with the shrinking equity cushions, so the group will likely need to engage in talks with creditors to waive covenants or amend and extend some debt instruments. Dropping the equity raise also means the group will likely need to re-enter talks about the RCF extension that they announced last week, since that had come with a condition of a minimum 1.3 billion equity raise. Other, more unconventional approaches to raising equity might also be on the table. Um, in terms of the numbers, some pl- flavor for 2019 was provided in an update yesterday. Net rental income came down 9% year over year to 402 million, which was in line with the guidance, but valuation of the like-for-like portfolio came down 24% to only 6.6 billion now. LTV at the same time showed up to 65% after adjusting for disposals of Spanish assets compared with just 57% in, in June. We now hear that some of the convertible bondholders are starting to organize and are hiring advisors. This unsecured bond sits at the parent level and dropped to trade in the mid-40s yesterday. Brilliant. Thanks, Carolina. Okay, let's turn to NMC now. This is the uh, United Arab Emirates healthcare group that was the subject of a Muddy Waters report late last year uh, that raised a lot of questions about its asset and debt valuations. Bianca, you've been looking at this situation closely for the last few months now. Can you summarise first what the allegations were? Hi, Richard. Yeah, so um, Muddy Waters released a report on NMC on December 17th saying that it had, quote, serious doubts about the company's financial statements, including its asset values, cash balance, reported profits and reported debt levels. It claimed the firm had purchased large assets at costs, quote, too high to be plausible and conducted related party transactions, which led to concerns about fraudulent asset values and theft of company assets. The short seller said it believed that NMC had used various accounting techniques, such as hidden reverse factoring agreements, and argued that the firm had manipulated its balance sheet to understate its debt by an estimated $320 million for the 2018 financial year. Um, The bottom line was that they did not, quote, believe that its insiders or financials can be trusted. NMC responded saying the allegations appeared, quote, principally unfounded, baseless and misleading, and they, quote, contained many errors. But the same day as the report came out, the company's London listed stock tanked 42% to £17. The group also has a $360 million convertible note with a 1.875% coupon and a 2025 maturity. It also has a $400 million Sukuk with a coupon of 5.95% and maturity in 2023, um, which also fell sharply. What does the company's overall debt structure look like? So NMC's total debt at the end of the first half of 2019 was $2 billion. This comprises a $1 billion drawdown on a multi-tranche $2 billion senior secured syndicated facility, as well as the convertible note and the Sukuk, which I mentioned earlier. Um, the group brought back, bought back 90 million of the converts at 92.5 in December, shortly after the Muddy Waters report sent the notes down 11.5 points 
to the high 70s. Now both its notes are in the mid to high 50s. Uh, okay, interesting. And what's happened in the past few months that's contributed to this? Well, there's been some discrepancy with the shareholder structure, um, which usually doesn't impact the debt, but in this case it has. So before I go into what's happened recently, um, I'll go through the shareholder structure. Aside from the founder, B.R. Shetty, the two largest shareholders in the group were Saeed al-Kabaisi and Khalifa al-Muhari, also known as the Bin Butis. Um, banks started selling the Bin Butis shares after the price drop, as margin calls were triggered under personal loans they had pledged against the equity. This sparked an investigation by Shetty into his own shareholding after he was being notified by banks holding his shares that they were being sold without his knowledge. His legal review found that through a memorandum of understanding signed between the three in 2017, 20 million of his shares were being held by his holding company, BRS International Holdings, for the Bin Butties. Through a series of share sales by the two Emirati holders, um, Shetty's shareholding dropped from being majority owner to 5% of the company. Saeed's fell to 3.14% from 19.73, and Khalifa's fell to 5.23 from 19.73. Shetty and Khalifa were asked to step down from the board in response to this. Then the big catalyst came on February 26th when NMC's Independent Review Committee found undisclosed supply chain financing arrangements entered into and guaranteed by NMC and used by entities controlled by the three big shareholders. The facilities have been in place since early 2018 and the drawdown as of December 31st was $335 million in related party transactions that the company provided a guarantee for. This was not disclosed to the board. In response to this, the CEO was sacked and the member of the treasury team was also suspended. The CFO was granted extended sick leave all of these factors contribute to the fall in the debt price. Um, Shetty and Bin Butti's shareholdings have fallen below 30% of the group's share capital, which is in breach of the company's change of control provisions under its loan facilities. Okay, right. And what do you expect to happen next then? Well, the company is in, pro in the process of negotiating a standstill on its facilities with its lenders. Um, the group has appointed Molis, PwC, and Allen and & Overy, as financial advisor, operational advisor, and legal advisor. Um, S&P downgraded the credit to triple C minus this week on the back of the risk that the lenders may trigger an acceleration of the debt and the subsequent default. GKSD Investment Holding, a company backed by sponsors of Italian healthcare group, Gruppo San Donato, expressed interest in making an offer for the group on February 11th. Bloomberg has also reported that Abu Dhabi sovereign wealth fund, Mubadala, may invest in the group to maintain the healthcare group's presence in the region, especially given the global spread of the coronavirus. Mubadala has, however, yet to confirm this. More recently, Demac Properties founder Hossein Sajwani bought a 5.04% stake, or 10.5 million shares, yesterday. Shetty, meanwhile, is working with Julian Loki to advise on strategic options for his holding company, BRS Ventures Investment, including a potential debt restructuring or asset sales. The group's shares are also suspended from trading on the London Stock Exchange as the Financial Conduct Authority is looking into the situation. The group should post its full-year results this month. It also previously said that it would reveal its cash balances ahead of this after its review of its finances. Okay, Bianca, we'll look out for those. Thank you very much. Subscribers can, of course, read more about all of these situations on our website, reorg.com. 
I just want to draw uh, attention before we go to uh, a new product, Rio on the Record, which is a, a weekly email digest of intel and analysis from our global team. Uh, the stories on this week's email include updates on Windstream and Unity agreeing to settle Chapter 11 litigation, Lever Nova's M&A appeal, and widening losses for uh, Dutch flower grower Doom and Orange. The email also gives recipients advance notice of upcoming events, webinars, and podcasts such as this one. You can sign up now by visiting the Reorg website. Again, that's www.reorg.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.